Hi friends, my name is Jess Piper and this is the Dirt Road Democrat. On this episode, I'll be talking to former Arkansas State Senator Joyce Elliott on the AP African American history debacle happening in Arkansas. Hey guys, I have some exciting news. I now have my own channel called the Dirt Road Democrat. If you've not already, please search the Dirt Road Democrat wherever you get your podcast and follow me. This show is brought to you by the Heartland Pod and our Patreon supporters. To learn more and join us, go to heartlandpod.com and click the Patreon link to get signed up to support the show and the others in the Heartland Pod family to get bonus content and special access for events. You can follow me on social media. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, I'm Piper from Missouri. On TikTok, you can find me at Jess Piper Mo. Time listeners know that I am from Missouri, but a lot of you probably know that I'm actually from Arkansas, uh, born and raised there, graduated from high school and college there twice. <laughs> and uh, that's why I am very concerned about Arkansas. I still have family kin there. I still have my niece has her kids in school there. So I'm really concerned about what's going on there and especially, you know, like what's going on in the schools and with the new Sarah Huckabee Sanders um you know, administration, it's not good. Things are going south quick with the voucher program and attacking, you know, AP African American history. Did y'all hear about that? Did you see it? It's insane. They, they're not willing to pay for the AP test, which they pay for every other AP test, including uh, European history. Weird, right? <laughs> but they're saying it's a pilot program. Well, so are four or five of the other ones that they are piloting this year. That's the part of a pilot program. You run it and you see what you think of it. Uh, and it is available for for credit. The University of Arkansas said, hey, if you take this in high school and you, you pass the test, we'll give you credit for it. So um, anyway, it's just weird, right? But not really. I mean, she's just attacking the the history class that happens to be about African-Americans, about black folks, right? And that's the one she's going to pick on. Okay, Sarah, we know exactly what you're doing. So anyway, I decided to reach out to an absolute powerhouse. Her name is Joyce Elliott. She was a teacher for 30 years in Arkansas. She taught English like me, so we have some common ground there. And then she was a legislator for 20 years. And let me tell you, Joyce started out in a segregated school in a tiny little town in southern Arkansas. And what she is today just shows her her power. It shows um, her ingenuity. It shows her grit, um, her determination, and her passion for everything Arkansas. So settle in, and I hope you enjoy this interview. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Dirt Road Democrat. And do I have a treat for you? I have Miss Joyce Elliott, who was a former legislator in in Arkansas for I think around twenty years. And you know, I'm passionate about Arkansas because it is my home state. Welcome, Joyce. How are you today? I am great, and so excited about talking to you this afternoon. Hot outside. We're inside having this gap fest and I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so. Yeah, it is really hot outside. So I'm so excited uh, to speak with you because um, you are watching what is going on and happening in real time in Arkansas. But first, before we get to that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. And because 
what's going on is just dear to my heart. I I, uh, I grew up in South Arkansas in a little bitty town uh, called Willisville, Arkansas. So we, when I was growing up, our population was like about 2009. I believe now Piper is at 152. Uh, so I grew up in a very rural area where there were nine people in my graduating class. Um, but uh, for so many years, when I was a kid growing up, I wanted to be a teacher. I, it was just the love of my life. I thought this is the best thing I could ever do with my life. And so that's exactly what I went to college to prepare to do. And I'd gone through um, integration at Willisville. That was, it was forced integration, I guess you might say. So, um, but I, I did learn so much about what it means when we keep our kids apart. And what a, I mean, what a travesty it is that we're not doing more to bring our kids together, to learn, to uh, work together and love each other and care about each other and know about one another. And as I got older, I began to realize even more so that the things that happened to me and the things that kids chose to do because they could, um, I was there because I was a kid and somebody said I had to be, they did things that adults taught them to do and allowed them to do. So I thought, I know now even more so that I need to be a teacher because teachers, you know, I had teachers who were not the teachers that they should have been to me. And a lot of that had to do with my skin color and my perceived um, threat that the person who was going to be the valedictorian might not be because I'd shown up with good grades because Hell, I'd worked at it. That was the only <laughs> way I was going to get a chance to go to college was, you know, try to get a scholarship. But um, I did become a teacher my first year of teaching. I deliberately taught in a school that had never had a black teacher at, at that school because I knew the kids needed it. Um, and from the time I was about 10 years old, I wanted to be in politics because I was an old soul that I could see things that were not right. I mean, I think it's not a pity party, but a lot of my childhood got sucked up in understanding at a very, very early age um, that there's an equality here that's so, an inequality that's so accepted that it's holding all of us back. So I wanted to be a politician by the time I was 10 years old, unapologetically, I wanted to be a teacher. And I've gotten to do both those things, loves of my life. And now, um, I am the executive director of Get Loud Arkansas, which is a civic engagement group designed to get people registered and educated into the polls. And it's it's I, I believe in this work because I'm not trying to get anybody to vote a certain way. I just know if we are not engaged, many times, you know, we are disappointed after the fact. So engaging is what I want people to do now. And be a part of deciding how this state in this country is going to be run. I'm so appreciative of that. Engaging voters is massive work. And I'm so glad that you are involved. You were an English teacher as well, right? I was, yes, yes. I was an English teacher and I taught speech and communication as well. And I don't know, I can't think of anything better I could have done as a teacher because I loved it so much teaching those classes. But I, you know, with what's going on now, I'm really just so um, happy that I did have the experiences what I did that I did teaching because I taught both at AP classes I taught AP and I taught non-AP 
So I kind of know a little bit about what's happening. <laughs> I'm so glad because I feel you. I taught American Lit. I was an English yeah. teacher for 16 years. Yeah. And um, I think what's going on, I taught AP as well. Um, yeah. And I think what's going on in Arkansas, it's just, it's a travesty, but it's people who, um, lawmakers who are very ignorant of the teaching practice and what goes on in classrooms. I know you and, and I, I, I did teach slave narratives. I did teach, you know, um, literature of protest, but mm -hmm. you know, I also taught William Bradford exactly. <laughs> and Henry David Thoreau. And, and yeah, and Jonathan, I mean, I was thinking about, you know, we would, oh, Jonathan Edwards, you know, yes. I we would actually, that was sinners in the hands of an angry God, angry right? God. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And um, and it was it was great because I would you know have kids. You take this part. You take this part. Let, we're gonna. I want you to deliver this the way you think Jonathan Edwards might have delivered it. And it was. I we loved doing that. And then talked about you know it's always so important to talk about the setting why this happened and what was the point behind it and all that and with the slave narratives same thing as you said and um those along with those narratives you know there there were those those slave songs that were in in our literature as well they they were poetry and sometimes i go well we're just not going to read it today we're going to sing it because actually these songs are ones that were that i heard in my church um, they were not something, you know, just ephemeral in, in a textbook. We actually did sing those songs. And before I went to an integrated school, um, it, those were songs that we sang in our choir as well and learned how to sing. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, no, the last nobody time... was hurt because of it. <laughs> nobody no. was, we were all the better for it. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so the last time I went to Arkansas, I was speaking to some rural Democrats, and this is when Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the governor of Arkansas, was trying to push through the Learns bill, which was pushed through, and I mean steamrolled through, right? Joyce, can That's you right. tell us a little bit about uh, the Learns bill and, and what's going on? Yes, the uh, the bill, the day that it was presented, um, I got to the Capitol early that morning, and there were... I don't know, I, at least 200 people or so who were already there. And many, many of them were teachers and they had come to testify, people who had never bothered to be involved in any, any kind of politics at all. And that was because uh, so many teachers showed up uh, because um, it's not as if teachers don't want change, but they thought it should be responsible change and absolutely should have involved teacher voices and participation. And to do that would have taken quite a bit of time. But I think the governor came in prepared. Obviously, they had it already prepared to go, but made some tweaks, I guess, um, that they kept saying they were doing. Um, but the result of all the teachers showing up, and that included me, showed up and, and testified and gave really good testimony. Uh, not that anybody agreed with everybody. Uh, and they really thought, we're going to take this time and we're going to come to the Capitol. Somebody's going to listen to us. And nobody did. And the the and the the thing that proves that, of course, is basically the same bill that was presented that day when I think we finished with testimony like nine or ten o'clock that night. Um, but what has happened 
is this bill called LEARNS has been passed and it is it is drastically changed what uh, education is like. And for the first time, you know, we have on a wide scale, we have vouchers, you know, actual actual money that uh, would have gone to public schools and still should. Uh, it's going to go to um, uh, church schools, so to speak, and it's going to go to starting in, I think, year two it is, uh, some of the funding will go to homeschoolers, and that's a huge change, uh, and uh, it's it's also problematic in that it has this language, this vague language about CRT, and um, uh, any kind of language that that's going to make um, I guess kids feel uncomfortable. And then every teacher hears that and just goes, what do you mean? If, if a student feels uncomfortable, this is going to be problematic. It's school. It's learning. It's it's like asking me to lose weight and think I'm going to be comfortable through the whole process, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so we, we've come to the point now that real specifically, uh, there is an AP class that, you know, that's uh, being offered that now is the African-American, is the African-American um, studies class. And that LEARNS Act, the very part that I just mentioned, I guess, has become problematic in that the Department of Education, the Secretary of Education, and I guess the governor by virtue of being silent uh, and the Department of Education is allowing um, the Department of Education to go forward uh, with diminishing the AP African-American studies class uh, because they said they're not sure yet if it teaches CRT, they need to wait until that is determined. And it's very passive until that is determined by, I guess, somebody down the road. and. There was a big kerfuffle about it's not going to have weighted credit like the other classes, and um, uh, it's not going to be one of the state-offered AP classes. And for all the AP classes we have, Arkansas pays for students to take the test. Mm -hmm. uh, and this has really been the worst thing that could happen to Arkansas, a state where we have central high school that the world knows about. And I do yes. mean the world. Yes. And here we are, we come along and say, well, there's a class about African-American studies and we're just going to diminish it. And we're not going to honor it the way 40 other states do. Um, and over 700 schools that are you know, uh, teaching this class. So the LEARNS Act has, has um, done uh, one thing, I think that is, is a good thing, but it's kind of, it's, I understand it's meant to cover the poison pills. Uh, for the first time, you know, Arkansas beginning teachers are going to make $50,000 a year. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing, but mm -hmm. it's complicated it in terms of there are schools who don't know how they're going to cover that beginning salary or that, and there are teachers who've been there for years who will hardly make, I, I think in one case, a student, I, a former student of mine, who is going to make, I think maybe $2,000 more, $52,000, and will be stuck at, as far as she knows, mm -hmm. she's going to be, you know, at that point for a long time. So what we have is a very rushed bill, kind of like what people have been seeing across the country yes. under the monikers of we're doing something bold, we're going to change things. 
Uh, both those things can be true at one time. I guess it can be bold and it can change things, but it is not in the interest of making sure we can move ahead and change education sustainably and in a way that it's world-class education. I could come up with the bill in 20 minutes, but what we need to be doing, which is absolutely not what's happening with our learns, this LEARNS Act, it is not based on what do our kids need to know to participate in the world, on the world stage. There are things that we're doing that are really important, like working on reading. That's, But that's the thing. It's, that's been going on now for the last six years. Mm -hmm. So it's not as if we just came to this understanding that we need to work on uh, reading. Um, that's great. But right now, uh, teachers no longer have fair dismissal. I remember as a, you know, as a much younger teacher in 1981, when we fought so hard to get a law in place that teachers would have, not that teachers could not be fired, but there would be uh, a systemic, systematic way that they would be treated with all their rights. That was just stripped from them. It, that no longer exists. So we're having a hard time, of, of course, you know, getting teachers like everybody else, but it surely yeah. doesn't help that we've done all this. That's a lot. So <laughs> No, no. And I, I feel all of that. Um, yeah. Missouri has the lowest starting teacher pay. Um, uh -huh. I came from Arkansas and I ended up, I taught two years in Arkansas and came to Kansas City and people mm -hmm. were sort of poking fun at me, you know, being from Arkansas. And I was like, well, actually, yeah. I took a pay cut to come to Missouri, friends. But I yeah. want to go back to something that you <laughs> talked about and, and something that I think needs to be said about AP African-American history. I did yeah. not learn um, any history about uh, slavery in my state, really. It was states' rights, right? It was Northern right. aggression. Mm -hmm. I graduated um, 30 years ago from Arkansas. I went uh -huh. to University of Arkansas at Fort Smith for um, my first couple of years. No, I got my bachelor's there, so it was four years. But mm -hmm. um, one of this, the classes I could take was African-American history. And I was like, that sounds interesting. You know, I didn't graduate with any black folks. It was all uh -huh. white. Um, mm -hmm. And within about two weeks, I was hooked. I could not believe, Joyce, the ignorance that I had held all those years about my own state and about everything going on around me. And it wasn't ignorance out of spite. It was ignorance because I didn't know better. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if you think that's why they're trying to keep this history from kids in Missouri. And by the way, AP is is not a required class, right? It's that's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> Nobody is, is required to take it. Absolutely. Right. No, it's, it's strictly a choice. Um, I, you know, I have really wrestled with this question um, and I try not to be, you know, overly reactive about it, but I cannot come up with a good reason that we should keep this teaching and learning away from, from kids, from our kids. And I, I often get responses on Twitter and sometimes people who have my, you know, my email or my uh, phone number. Um, about uh, what, you know, questions like, why do you wanna keep uh, going backward? And so I think it is, I think people do want to keep this, 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 this learning away from these kids and keep the history away from these kids. And something that I have come to realize too, that I, I believe is the case, 
Now, we often say if we don't learn history, we are doomed to repeat it. And and I, I and I've thought about that a little differently later. I I think it's true, but I also think it's true that we sometimes want to teach kids uh, some some history that people would like to have repeated, um, and that's the kind of history you know that that we tend not to want to talk about out loud. But right now, that's get, gotten to be more and more the thing. People say the most racist, the most uh, unforgivingly, um, I, I think, the unforgiving things that are designed to hurt folks. And so I think people want to learn some of that history, as long as it includes the folks who were always in charge and are still in charge. Because I know the uh, kids who get taught about the way things used to be, we when we say that we want to take our country back and uh, make America great again, you know, some of those things, that's about going back to uh, a racist past in so many ways. And to keep the history away from the kids that shows the other side of uh, the other experiences of folks who are different from you, I think it's such a disservice from the kids. And it's it's taken me a long time to get to it, to the point of, yeah, I think I think it is the case that people just, I know, don't want kids to know this history. Because like, uh, unlike you, and that I went to an integrated school, I had all black teachers who were wonderful because we we got a, an opportunity in many cases to just have the best of teachers because black teachers were not allowed to teach any place else except in black schools. And so a lot of the history we learned because those teachers taught it to us, you know, there. When I went to the integrated school, I never had another black teacher. That was not a good thing. The kids at, at my school, the new school I went to, had never had a teacher of any kind of color. And I I never learned another thing that I can remember in terms of, you know, black history or any history other than that's the predominantly white centered history uh, until until I was in, in college. And most of that I did a lot on my own because I knew enough to know that if we don't, if I don't teach myself, I'm not going to do it. And so when I became a teacher piper, I was determined and it took a lot of work. I was determined that I was not going to I was not going to allow these kids not to know about, for example, the literature of people different from them. And for me, that that was true of the black kids and the white kids, because mostly then uh, that's predominantly who was in our schools. And so I actually got with the principal who got it okayed by the superintendent and I guess the board, whoever they had to. I was it was in the mid to late 70s. I was still in my 20s. I remember that maybe probably late 20s by then. Um, and I said, you know, I I would like to create a course. I'm willing to do all the work. I I will, you know, bring it by the principal, the head of the department. And I went through all those hoops to create a class that we we weren't sophisticated to know to call it something else then. So it was called Minority Lit, where we we studied the we studied the literature. Uh, we added to our to that class. Uh, it was a whole class. Uh, Jewish lit um, at that time. We, it was called Native American literature and and black literature. Mm -hmm. And 
it was kids that didn't have to take it. They didn't, have, but but they did. Yeah. <laughs> it was. I I see some of them even now. Some of them who are grandmas themselves, and they still will talk to me about that class. And it was a wonderful thing. So it really is. Those it. those are always the best classes that kids really get into. And speaking yes. of that, we mm -hmm. do hear a lot of people, they don't want to uh, teachers in Arkansas, Missouri to teach divisive topics. They don't want to make kids uncomfortable. And yeah. I wonder if you can speak to this because I can. I taught mainly all white students because I'm in a very rural space in mm -hmm. Missouri. And I taught the history of slavery through American literature. Mm -hmm. And I have never once, never once in all those years had a student, a white student say, oh my gosh, I feel horrible. I'm embarrassed. I can't believe what they did say is I didn't know. And yes. I wanted, yeah. I want to do better. Yeah, that is, that is absolutely one way that our, our experiences are, are the same because one of the things that I was so surprised about when I started hearing about all these divisive concepts and whatever, that's not the kids, that's that's not the kids' problems. Now, these are adults, these are adult issues. And I, I guess the thing that worries me the most, um, I think back to when I went to an integrated school, the the issues that we faced were adult issues, things that they had made up, things that they had taught the kids. And now we want to convince the kids that if you're in a class where, you know, you are teaching about somebody or some experience that's not yours, they they tend that they're going to feel, you know, this is a divisive topic that it's going to make them feel uncomfortable. And I'm not suggesting that uh, a child has never felt uncomfortable. Um, that may be, but it's I've never known it to be an issue. I can I give you a good example, for example, for instance, um, I used to teach, when I was teaching, I taught Huckleberry Finn. Mm -hmm. And if anybody's going to feel, um, going to feel, you know, maybe a little bit out of sorts, it's most likely going to be, you know, um, a black child. And it's not that it won't be a white child necessarily. Um, and that word, and, and that book, you know, is set at a time when people use words that are not comfortable today necessarily. Um, and I had some, I had, I don't know, there were some people who were concerned about my teaching and, and I said, you know, no, I, I, I won't take it off <laughs> the, the syllabus. We're going to teach it, but it's my responsibility to set the stage as a teacher and let students know why it's this way why it's important for us to understand it today and, and talk about relationships in ways that uh, we can learn, how we can do things better. And, um, and it's because I was willing to, if you want to come and watch me teach it, fine. Yeah. But it is the teacher's responsibility and teachers have done this for years and years Here's what we're going to be talking about. Here's what you can expect. You know, here are the variables and 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 here are words that that we need to talk about. And one of the things I think people who are not in the classroom, especially with these classes that you and I are talking about, if you're going to teach literature, if you're going to teach history, you don't divorce it from its setting ever. Are you are teaching kids untruths, a mistruth, the misrepresentations if you do that? 
but one of the reasons we've not had these problems until suddenly here they are, because teachers have been doing this all this time and doing it the right way. And they don't deserve what's happening to them now. And the students don't deserve, you know, to be deprived of the learnings that they're going to be deprived of. It's exactly what's happening across the country. The demonization of teachers, um, Mm -hmm. the attacks on teachers. And we like we're seeing huge gaps in, you know, where we can find teachers and employing them. In fact, in Missouri, they're uh, letting retired teachers come back and teach full time again for two years because we just can't find people for the classrooms. Are you guys finding shortages in Arkansas as well? Yes. Yes, we we are. It's not in every district. But for example, I know that some schools, um, we're going to have teachers who are maybe a junior in college, you know, who's still uh, in that process and maybe trying to pair them up with somebody with a teacher, you know, who does have experience because I I saw, you know, it was an interview the uh, two or three nights ago where there was a student who was taught who is that very kind of teacher. Um, and it's, it's, uh, difficult, especially in rural areas. It's a, it's, it's a bit more difficult in what we, we talk about urban areas in Arkansas. It almost makes me laugh because you can drive five minutes away (laughs) in the woods. (laughs) It's just almost a joke, but it is a bit easier in places, you know, like central Arkansas and Northwest Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I look at, uh, Piper, I'm on. I'm part of, on, on the on a board. Uh, it's a it's a nation well international wide board now called the National Center on Education and the Economy. And one of the main things we do is we study highest performing countries in the world, and you know, in education, and benchmark the, you know the, uh, that against you know what is excellence, what is world class, and. It's never a surprise that year after year after year when that PISA test is given, you know, to the 15 year olds to, and it's, I'm not ever going to say some test is perfect. I'm not suggesting that at all, but it compares 15 year olds around the, around the world and the best uh, the United States does is, you know, maybe come in right in the middle somewhere, but the top 10 is almost always the same group of folks. And um, so I look at what they're doing. And and one of the things, you know, speaking of teachers, one of the main things they do, they honor teachers the way Finland talks about teachers as uh, nation builders. Teachers are treated as if they are, you know, they are important enough that these countries understand they will never be what they can be unless teachers are treated with dignity, paid well, well-trained, supported, and just as importantly, uh, men at the, most of these highest performing, I, I'm just talking about the top 10, that by the way, new people get into all the time, new countries. Um, most One of the other really, really big things is, is the way they prepare their students uh, from the very beginning of birth um, we don't just, you know, make sure they're brought into the world and then we walk away and talk about their parents as being um, lazy and you and take better care of your child when you have a job that is not even a, a family supporting wage. But what they do is make sure teachers are supported, prepared. But the same thing is applied to those students. 
as a matter of uh, a country, this, this is a country's, this is a country's commitment. It's not as if you just happen to live in one part of the country or the other. So it's to be what we need to be on the world stage. We just have to pay more attention to what we're doing to and for our teachers and and uh, for our families and our and our kids. And I'll just this one last little, you know, people talk a lot about Finland, but Finland is not the only one, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you know, can't have a top 10 with that with just one, you know, one country in it. People will say, well, they're not like us. Well, they are not in that, the, the things I just mentioned, but there are, and what they usually mean is our population, that mm-hmm. we are so diverse. Well, in that top 10, every turnaround in every every year, every three years, Canada is there. Mm-hmm. But it's not just big, all of Canada. They do it by provinces. Alberta is usually, is represented and Ontario, where Toronto is, that's one of the most, uh, even more so than the United States, that's one of the most diverse places in the world. And yet they managed to to make that top 10. So we don't need to fool ourselves into thinking we're just so different. We can't do that. No, it's about commitment. And uh, if we are committed to our public schools, this is where this is where we have a constitutional requirement in our states to to make sure our kids are well educated. Um, if we are truly committed to that, we don't have money just everywhere, you know, just running off the side of a mountain. We wouldn't be dividing the funds that we have among all these disparate kinds of ways of supposedly educating our kids. What we would do is build outstanding public schools that are world class so that every school would be a school of choice. But mm-hmm. what we do is pit uh, neighborhoods and schools against one another and we've created a test that basically tells us what we know the struggling kids and the struggling neighborhoods of the struggling areas of the state are the ones that are going to show up struggling on these tests. So rather than saying, okay, we've been doing the, doing what we're doing now for a number of years of barely supporting students and families, let's pool our money and build these great public schools that we need because that's our obligation. And we often say we don't have the money to do many of the things we need to do in our schools. Um, and if we don't have it, does it really make sense to divide it over all of these, these different kinds of ways that we say we are, we are creating great schools? And then lastly on this, because you might have another question, but I'm wound up here. <laughs> well, lastly on what we expect of teachers and what we know we need from our from our kid from our children i don't care who you are what kind of teacher you are how great you are it is impossible for kids who live in conditions that are not conducive to sustained learning and being great in school every day uh, it's the conditions uh, where our kids live and, and and not that their parents aren't doing everything they can, but it's the underlying, underlying conditions of poverty and lack of what they need that has a huge effect. 
because you can look at this time and time again. We talk about school reform and you can find school districts or a school where, okay, we do something magical and um, the tests are pretty good for maybe five or six years, but sustain that, if you will. So we can't just we can't just point at schools to do everything. It's right back to a few minutes ago when I said the the uh, countries look at the conditions of the kids. Do they have great housing? Do their parents have jobs that will that will uh, take care of these kids? You know, do do they uh, do they are they suffering from hunger? You know. Um, do they have opportunities for enrichment? Because all these things that really matter, you know, what are their health outcomes like? Do they feel safe? All the folks who are doing all the talking about how bad, the, and this includes legislators, we never ever talk about the state as itself uh, addressing those underlying conditions. We try to do it in the schools. Don't we know by now that is not working? And it, and people need to think about their state constitutions. The state, the constitution doesn't say Missouri. Uh, the Missouri Education Committee <laughs> must make sure that kids um, kids are, are going to have everything they need to to do well in school. Because it, as it turns out, they need something more than academics. So I have for years tried to get our legislature to concentrate on. It's not just the academics. It's all these other conditions here that we need to address as well. And because we put it under the umbrella of education, people fail to see or pretend they do. I don't see where any other committee or any other money should be um, should be allocated to make sure our kids are, are safe and healthy and well taken care of so that they can show up well in school. And that would mean, you know, doing something beyond just, you know, the textbook and the computer and that kind of thing. That's how these other countries take care of their kids. It's not just yeah. something in, in the classroom. We see that uh, with the wraparound services you were talking about that, yeah. you know, hold kids up. And I see in my state, uh, Republicans or conservatives um, attacking wraparound services, saying that yes. we don't need those. And mm -hmm. I can tell you, Joyce, that I've I've worked in, a, I think, four different districts. And the difference between the, the one with the best test scores and the best outcomes for kids and the one that would have been the worst the only difference, it wasn't teaching, it wasn't kids, the only difference was the income that these kids okay. came from and um, and what was available to them. And so you're 100% right. We attack that, you know, we attack poverty first, which we know leads to, you know, prison yeah. pipeline and it leads to all, all okay. sorts of different things. That, that's exactly right. And and to, to pretend, I mean, this is just not a hard concept. Right. <laughs> if, if we treated, um, if we thought about all the things that we do, for example, to make sure um, a kid can be a great athlete. Yeah. <laughs> very little of that has anything to do with what happens in that classroom. Right. But somehow they turn out to be great athletes uh, because um, we do go to great lengths to address issues that they have to be prepared to show up on that football field and be ready. You know, we do that. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, we have we have a lot of four day school weeks in Missouri. Thirty percent of our districts are on uh, four day school weeks. But I tell you what, we're people always assume we're off on Friday, and I'm like, no, that's when we have football. We're off on Monday, right? That's because right. that's what counts. <laughs> yes, it is what counts, you know. And I and I I think about that. I I often say say um, when we are looking at these these other countries or whatever that now if if we if we could treat um, academics, I guess you might think about it that way. If, if we could treat could uh, treat academics as important as <laughs> sports, we would be we could go a long way. And you know, I was a jock myself in school, so I'm certainly not against <laughs> sports. I mean, you live in the country. Uh, you're a job. What else are you going to do? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> we can say it without even being prompting. What else are you going to do? And so, I mean, I love myself some sports, but, um, you know, I, I loved the academics, you know, as well. Um, exactly. So yeah. I want I want to switch gears for just a minute and talk about right. your organizing with Get Loud, what you're yeah. doing exactly, and how mm -hmm. you could because a lot of the people who listen uh, to my podcast are organizers, and we're always looking for ways, better ways, new ways to to reach out um, to our communities and get them involved, excited. Yes, uh, one of the things I would really like for people to think about um, for the first time, actually. Uh, I think people are seeing the result. And I'm saying this as a generic uh, a fact that people are seeing the result of what happens when we disengage. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if, at the end of uh, 2021, uh, um, I, I decided I was going to be term limited in 2022. And so the third thing I get to do in my life, I thought I, I wanted to get involved in civic engagement because I don't, you know, as a as a politician, I glad gladly when I was a politician, I, I want you to vote for me, but that's not necessary for you to do for me to care about your being engaged because I think different voices are really important. Um, so I decided that, well, the rest of my days, I want to work on that third thing that I care about so much. So with Get Loud Arkansas, we are 501c3. Uh, we are not for profit. And uh, we're a civic engagement group. And we do our best to get everybody registered to vote. And I, people in this state need to know if it's if it's about your vote, you know, you have a really small perspective on what's going on if you're not paying attention to other things. But when we have a state as small as Arkansas, we have about 3.1 million people. Mm -hmm. And when we have 300,000 or so of them not registered or 300,000, another 300,000 or so who are registered but not voting, that's like a third of us. So, you know, you got to pull out for the kids and all that. But um, if anything we wanted to do in our state, it's going to change because we get engaged and we vote. But I don't want people just to vote, just to vote. I want them to take some time to be educated about the issues, which we do the best we can. We are a young group um, and we can't do everything at once, but we are uh, we, we are in, in so many ways. Um, uh, people apparently think we're doing more as, as, as much as anybody possibly could and more than we are because we are working so hard. But we targeted uh, certain uh, counties because we looked at counties where maybe, you know, the, the voting was, uh, it was obvious that we really needed work there to get people 
up and going to the polls and taking some time to meet with them. We, we are a year round group. So we do this work in particular counties right now. So, because we don't have enough people to go, you know, to go everywhere across the state. And we are, we are uh, constantly, we're raising funds to hire people to help out with that. And people can actually make a contribution if they just go to getloudarkansas.org. But you don't have to go there just to make a contribution. We have all kind of resources at getloudarkansas.org. If you want to find out, for example, for example, about the purging, I mean, there are thousands of people who've been uh, purged from the polls because they didn't vote, you know, maybe in the last president, last two presidential elections, and they don't know their names have been removed from the polls. Yeah. And this is something that uh, clerks legally have to do. They and and for them, it's called cleaning up their, their you know their their voter rolls. They're not just they're not doing it just to do it. But there are problems with it because nobody it, it's not done the same way all over the state. Mm-hmm. But what we have on our website is you can go to our website and you can look up. We we have a tool there where you can look up your status to see whether or not you are actually still registered. And we've already been uh, sending out um, mail to because one of the things that has to happen is is the, the clerks um, will send out if you're about to be purged or maybe you're on that list they'll send out um, a, a card to you your last address. Well, what if you've moved mm-hmm. and you might not get it? And some clerks send it a second time, you know, to try to validate it. And not everybody has said that's what they do but they are required to send it out. But the problem is if you moved or if you don't get it, or uh, you might be off that list and don't know it. So you can go to our website and you can just, uh, or you can go to the secretary of state's office there and, but go to the website, it's easy. Look up your voting status because too many people are showing up at the polls and don't know they've been taken off, off, off the rolls. And, so those kind of things we, we we have to do. We work with people. There are people who've got married, changed their names and haven't changed their registration. They forget about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in some cases, you know, people in the LGBTQ uh, group maybe have transitioned and uh, might need to make some changes or might have changed their names even. So um, we try to make sure um that we help people through suppressive voting laws because the legislature has made it harder for people to to vote uh and the the absentee ballot is just a nightmare that needs to be fixed but it's all of these things that we have to work on to make sure that when people show up at the polls that you know they um that they can actually vote because if people, somebody has not been voting and they go, they get turned around one time, that's all they need. So Get Out Arkansas is determined, you know, to, it's, it's hard. It is really hard work. And we love to partner with folks, other folks who are 501c3s or nonprofits uh, because it's no one person, no one group can do all of this. So if there are people, you know, who want to partner you know, they can they can um, go to Getting Out Arkansas and send us a message. Um, it's right there on the website. But this is the thing that I grew up seeing my parents and other older Black folks around me. Um, it's the reason 
I, I became a politician actually when I was a kid, I was really nosy and a busy body and I was always hanging around trying to hear what they were saying. And the time they always were so afraid was when they talked about voting. And I noticed they whispered and they hunched over in. And I didn't know what why they were fearful about it until, you know, a little bit later. But when I was about 10 years old and John F. Kennedy was running for office, I just they talked out loudly about him. I didn't know what it meant other than they had this notion that if the right person is elected, if people participated, their lives were going to be better, that they're going to be able to vote, that he was doing something. I didn't know what it, what all of it meant, but he was going to change things. And I didn't know what I was saying, but I thought, boy, if somebody can do that, I want to do that. I didn't know at 10 years old, I was pledging to be a politician, but that's, but I'm happy I've done it because I, I don't ever put down politicians in general. I don't ever say I'm not a politician because I am. It's just, you have a responsibility to be one who's a good one. And whether or not people think you're a good one or not, you need to know for yourself that you're doing what you think is good and right to do. Joyce, I appreciate you so much. What a patriot, what a legacy you're leaving for Arkansas to be a teacher, for 30 years? Was it 30 yes, years? Yes, and yes. a legislator for 20, 20 years? 20 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now, and you look younger than me. And now, <laughs> yeah. And so, so add up those years, add up that 30, <laughs> add up that 30 and that 20, then add two to it. You've got me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I'm so happy that you were here and, and that career that. Um, that you've had. And like I said, that legacy that you are leaving in Arkansas as a fighter, as someone who started in a, a segregated school to going on to teaching and uh, legislating. I'm, I'm really appreciative of you. And people can find you where? Uh, you can find me at getloudarkansas.org. You can find me there and you can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram. So I'm, I'm all around. So, <laughs> so thank you, Joyce. Yeah, it was Thank so good to speak me. with you. Yeah, I keep up with you and and, and I love your voice. So, so keep it out there for for I, I'm going to say for all of us because it it is important. I I admire people who are teachers and people who who still speak up no matter what they're doing about not just lip service to they they are our future. But they don't deserve the future that we are we are preparing them for because their lives are very different from ours and they don't deserve to be prepared for our future but for theirs and that's what i want us to do by getting engaged and making sure we're taking care of our kids thank you joyce you're welcome <laughs>